You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, they, uh, they, they crossed through the, the Jordan River, and as they were going through before the waters came back together, the, the Bible says that God instructed them to go and to take 12 stones and to set them up on the other side of the river so that they could come back and they could remember what God had done. And I want to encourage you that so many times the obstacles that we face in life, that we feel like are sinking us, that are going to take us under, those become those memorial stones in our lives that we look back on and see the faithfulness of God. Think about how faithful God has been to you. Think about how good he's been. And don't forget that. Don't forget how good he is. And it's so easy for us to take our eyes off of that and to not remember But my encouragement to you today is to remember his faithfulness and surrender those obstacles to him. As long as they're in our hands, man, listen, it's heavy. It's hard to carry. But if we'll surrender those to him, then he's faithful to carry us through and he's faithful to create out of those obstacles and out of those mountains, memorial stones that we look back on and see the faithfulness of God. I wanna read a scripture to you today. We're gonna be in Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103, read the first five verses and then we'll get going in the message. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things? so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you, God, for its truth and thank you for its power. I pray today, God, that you would speak to our hearts, do a work in us that only you can do, Lord. God, um, change our lives. Don't let us walk out of here the same way that we walked in, but do a great work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Come now and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. I told the nine o'clock service, I hope that preaching's like riding a bicycle because it's been three weeks. And so um, I'm anxious to get back up here and, and excited about it and looking forward to it. But I want to ask you this question to get it started this morning. How many of you uh, would say that the older you've gotten, the more forgetful you've become, the more things you forget? I know for me, that is the truth. If I don't write it down, I don't remember it. In fact, I can get up from my desk to go get something off of the printer, come back with a cup of coffee, a granola bar, having had four conversations and still not got the paper off of the printer. And, and I'm just get back and I'm like, what did I, oh gosh, I gotta go, and it starts all over. So I can forget things really easy. Um, and usually when we forget things, it's because of distractions. It's because of something that happens that takes our eyes off of what we were set, had set out to do. And I know that this is true in life and sometimes those distractions can, can cost us a lot because they distract us from what's really important. Um, the other day, my, my wife and my two little ones, uh, Jackson and Reed, were visiting some family out of town. Jackson was playing in a ball tournament out of town, so they were staying with them. And that night, Susan told Jackson, my middle son, she said, go in there and take a shower and uh, bathe good and all that good stuff, get ready for bed. And so he goes in there, he, he, he takes a shower like this fast, there's no way he bathes. But he, he gets out and Susan's like, did you even use soap? Um, some of you mamas have said that. You know, did you even use soap? And he's like, yes ma'am. So she goes in there and looks in the shower and the soap was so high up that Jackson couldn't have reached it. And 
And so she said, Jackson, there is absolutely no way you use soap. You can't even reach this soap. And Jackson said, Mama, I did use soap. And she said, well, what soap did you use? And he grabbed a bottle and said, this one. And it was Nair. <laughs> Somehow his hair didn't fall out. So maybe he didn't really bathe. But sometimes it pays to pay attention, right? Sometimes it's good not to get distracted. Um, and, and, and to pay attention to what's important. And so for Jackson, thank God, his hair didn't fall out. But the reality of it was he, he wasn't paying much attention to what he was doing. And so that sometimes is how we are, is that we lose track of what's important. We, we take our eyes off of the thing that's really important in life, and that being God, that being Jesus, that being keeping our eyes fixed and focused on him. And if you look at these first two verses in Psalm 103, it's really what David is telling us. First thing he says is, praise the Lord, my soul. And what he's saying is, I want to praise you with everything in me. I want to praise you with all of myself. I don't want to just praise you with my lips. I want my whole life to praise you. I want everything in me to praise you. I want everything about me to be praised to you, God. I don't want to just give you lip service. I want you to have all of me. He says, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The thing I want you to hear today, and I want you to get out of this today, is don't forget there's things about God that we can't forget. There's things about God that we have to remember. See, forgetting is the opposite of praising. When we forget God, we forget to praise him. But if we remember God and we remember his benefits and there's certain things that we remember about him, then we're going to praise him. And David in these first two verses is really beginning to preach to himself. He's about to preach the gospel to himself and say, don't forget this. Don't let this slip your mind. Hold on to these things. And with everything in me, praise him. And I want you to see today that when we praise God, praising God and putting our eyes on God, it's like having the, the true north on a compass. It always points us in the right direction. It tells us which way to go. When our eyes are fixed on him, we move towards him and we praise him and our steps are orchestrated towards him and moving in his direction. And the thing I've always told you, and I'll tell you again, is that the best way to live life is to listen to God and do what he says. How do we do that? By staying focused on him and listening to his voice, by continuing to follow him. And David is preaching this to himself saying, I'm not going to forget. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to continue to move towards him. I'm going to praise him with everything that's in me. And I'm going to give him all of myself. And that's what David is really doing in this Psalm. There's some things I don't want you to forget that I don't want myself to forget. I want to, I want us to remember some things about him, about God. The very first one it says here is forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Remembering the things that God is doing for us, has done for us. And that's what David is doing. He's preaching this to himself. The very first one is this. He says, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins? God does. How does he do that? He does that through Jesus. And this is something that we should celebrate. But I think sometimes the reason we don't celebrate the forgiveness of our sins and it gets old to us is because sin for many people has just become the norm. It's just become normal. When we, start not, when we start seeing God as not being this incredibly holy 
person and we start seeing ourselves as not being such a bad person, that gap narrows. But the reality of it is when we see truly how holy and perfect God is and we see our imperfections and then we begin to see the, the, the width of that, that gap that God has bridged through Jesus, we can't help but praise him. We can't help but praise him for forgiving. It says all of our sins, not just some of our sins, not just the politically correct sins, but all of our sins, those sins that we don't want anybody else to know about, those sins that have haunted us since the day we committed them, those sins that continue to come back to us over and over again. The Bible says that God has forgiven those sins, that Jesus took those sins too upon himself, took the punishment for those sins so that you and I could be forgiven so that that guilt could be taken away. And so Jesus does that for us. He forgives all our sins. It says, and heals all our diseases. So he forgives all our sins and he heals all our diseases. This is what God does. Sometimes for Christians, the problem with healing is timing. Sometimes it just doesn't happen in our time. But the thing I can tell you is that every Christian in here, every person who's put faith in Jesus, one day we will be made whole. And if you look at this and look at scripture in other places, it connects the forgiveness of sins with the healing of disease. And one reason is because this word means more than just sickness. It means to be completely whole. It means to be lacking nothing. It means to be made complete. And so when you look at this, it's bigger than sickness. It's saying that God not only um, heals us and will heal us completely, but he's going to make us whole. That's his goal. That's the process he's got us in is bringing us to wholeness. And David understood this very well. He understood the crippling power of sin. In fact, if you look at Psalm chapter 38, you can see where David begins to talk about this. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, it'll be on the screen. But David in this Psalm says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath or in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. This first part of this psalm, he's really talking about his guilt before God. He's saying, I am guilty before you. He's saying, your wrath is, 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 is rightfully on me because I'm guilty of my sin before you. I've committed these sins. I've done these things. But the reality and the good news of God is that in his, uh, his effort to make us whole, he's reconciled him with us with himself through Jesus. He's taken that guilt away. He's removed that guilt off of us so that we can begin moving towards wholeness and completion. And as I said, sometimes healing comes and com wholeness and completion begins to take great steps in this life. But every single person who's put faith in Jesus, they will be made whole when they're glorified with Christ. It is a promise and it is true and it will happen one day as we continue to follow and as our faith makes us whole. It says in verse 38 and verse 5, or chapter 38, verse 5, it says, My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. See, in this he's talking about his guilt before himself. He's, he's saying, look, I'm bowed down and I'm brought low. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish and of, of heart. He's, he's recognizing the sin of himself that he's done this, that this is where he's at. But see, Jesus takes that guilt from us. And not only does he take our guilt, but he also takes our shame. 
And many times, so many times, we think of those two as the same thing. But the difference in guilt and shame is this. Guilt tells us we did something bad. We say, yeah, I did something bad. Shame tells us that we are something bad. And so many times it's easy for us to be, let God take the guilt, but it's so hard for us to let God take the shame because that guilt and that sin and that condemnation that we felt because of it leaves a stain on our soul. But the good news is that the blood of Christ is able to cleanse our soul as well as take away the guilt. It's able, he's able to take away the shame as much as he's able to take away the guilt and the feeling of condemnation that comes from it. He's able to take it all away. And that's what I want you to see out of those verses is that God takes away not only our guilt, but also our shame. Verse nine says, all my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light of my eyes, or even the light is gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and they lie. And here we see what sin often does is it cripples us and it begins to isolate us from other people. He's talking about the, his friends and companions. They avoid me. They've gone away. This is our guilt before other folks. And sin begins to isolate us. When we feel guilty, when we feel shameful, we begin to isolate ourselves from each other. That's why, church, we have to be different. We have to be people who pursues people. We can't be people who kick people when they're down. We're not going to be a church that puts them down and rubs their face in the dirt. We're going to be a church that picks people up when they trip and they stumble. We can start judging people and we can start putting them down and we can start kicking them when they're down when we get all our junk together. But as of right now, all our junk's not together, so we're going to be a church that lifts people up and that helps them to stand. That's what the community of believers is about, that's what we're going to be about, is helping people get their feet set back on the rock of Jesus, back on the rock of Christ so that they can stand, so that they can lift their head up, and so that they can glorify God in their life. That's what we're called to do, and that's what we're called to be, is that kind of church, that kind of community. Back to the other, it says, who forgives all your sins, this is Psalm 103, and heals all your diseases. It says, who redeems your life from the pit. How many of you have had your life redeemed from the pit by Jesus? You were in the pit and there was no hope. In fact, the reality of it was the shovel was in your hands. You dug the pit, but Jesus came and redeemed you out of your own mess, right? Jesus came and set you free from your own mess. And still today, we have a tendency, I have a tendency to want to pick the shovel back up and start digging again. And God comes and he says, listen, that's not what you want to do, remember? Listening to me and doing what I say is the best way to live. And we put down the shovel and God again continues to redeem us. He continues to take us. He continues to take our mistakes and our bad decisions and use them for good, to bring good into the world and bringing good into our lives. He takes those decisions and shows how big he is by redeeming us from the pit, by taking our life and making us something out of nothing. It's what God does for us. He redeems us so we don't forget the benefits of God, that he forgives all our sins, that he heals our diseases, that he redeems us from the pit, and that he crowns you with love and compassion. In other words, he sets his affection on you, that he moves in your life in such a way that he puts his favor on you through Christ. His love and his compassion is on you. He says, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
See, here's the thing I've realized is when my relationship with God's not right, nothing's right. When my relationship with God's off, everything's off. Why? Because I'm not satisfied in my soul. I realize what it is to be satisfied in God. I've tasted that the Lord is good. And the reality of it is when I get away from that, when my heart begins to wonder, nothing's right because only God can satisfy. And I want you to see this progression through this as he talks about the benefits of following God. He says he forgives all your sins, one. He takes your sin away, he forgives your sin. Two, he begins to heal you and make you whole. Three, he takes your life out of the pit and gives you life where there was death. Four, he set his affection on you and he begins to woo you and draw you closer and closer to him. And five, he satisfies you, making you feel more complete inside and making your life complete by being to you what only he can be. And so there's this whole cycle that God takes us through continually where he's doing those things in our life. And people, we can't forget the benefits of God. We should praise God daily for the benefits that he's given us, for the things that he has done, for the ways that he has worked in our lives. Not forgetting, don't forget the benefits of God. Don't forget the amazing things that he's done. Don't forget what he's done for you, what he's doing for you right now. Verse six says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. When we look at this, it says that the promise is that God works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. When I look at our world today, I don't know if there's ever been a time where we weren't more oppressed. When I look at our country today, I don't know if there's ever been a time where Satan, the enemy, has oppressed us more than right now. I don't know if there's ever been a time where we've lost our way more than we have right now as a nation. And the reality of it is, people, it's going to take a miracle of God to be able to do what needs to be done in this country. And here's the thing I, I will tell you, that there is no place for racism in this country. There's certainly no place for racism in the church. It needs to be eradicated. It needs to be done away with. And our voices need to be heard on that. Our voices need to be heard in support of our law enforcement agents and the people who work to protect us because I know a lot of them and most of them are very good people. The reality is our voices need to be heard. But if we really want to see a difference made and we really want to see God do something and the voices, they need to be heard on earth. But we better start letting our voices be heard in heaven. We better start rattling the throne of God and begin to do something on our knees praying to him and asking him to come and begin to change people's hearts because when he begins to change people's hearts then we'll see real change take place but until then we're going to continue in our ignorance and our blindness and we're not going to do the things that glorify God we're going to do the things that seem to please ourselves and people I'm telling you if we'll begin to pray and we'll humble ourselves as 2 Corinthians 7 14 tells us and we'll humble ourselves and we'll pray and we'll seek his face and we'll turn from our wicked ways then his promise in 2 Corinthians 7 14 
14 is that he will heal our land. But I can tell you this, if we want to see that happen, it's not going to be because we elect Hillary Clinton. It's not going to be because we elect Donald Trump. It's not going to be because you vote for somebody you write in. You can vote for me if you want to. Write my name in. That'd be cool. I might be third in Bullock County. And here's the awesome thing about it. It's not going to be because of whoever we vote for or who we elect. It's going to be because we've gotten on our knees and we've prayed to God and God begins to change the heart of the people. That's when we're going to see things change in our nation and in the world. It says he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. This is really talking about when, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And it says in here that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in love. He won't always accuse or harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat our sins as they deserve or pay us according to our iniquities. What he's talking about is when God brought the Israelites, God's chosen people out of Egypt, they were in slavery, they were in bondage. God brings them out. He frees them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians and he takes them and he, he parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground and then he lets the waters flood back and they begin and it kills the army of Pharaoh and it sets them free and delivers them from bondage. He's saying, look, he showed himself to Moses. He's revealed himself to us. One thing is he didn't have to do that. God didn't have to reveal himself to us, but because of his love for us, he did. He showed himself. And here's the crazy thing. God, through his compassion and his love and his grace, brought them out of Egypt and set them free, freed them from the bondage of slavery. But within weeks, within months, they had turned their back on God and rebelled against him. And even so much so that they began to worship false gods and idols. It says in the Bible that when Moses, this is after they've been freed, Moses went up on the Mount, Mount Sinai and he began to get the, the Ten Commandments from God. He stayed gone a little longer than they thought he should. So they began to panic a little bit. And they tell Aaron, Moses' brother, create us a God that we can worship. Even though God had just brought them out of Egypt, they had seen miracles that God had done. They, they said, create us this God. So he takes their earrings, their necklaces, their ornaments, and he throws them in a fire. He shapes it into a calf. And then he sets the calf before him and says, this is your God, worship him. And here's the thing about that. For them, it was sort of returning to Egypt. It was looking and worshiping the gods in the way they would have done in Egypt. And so they're returning they're in, in a way to Egypt in their worship. And so the reality of it was for them that they get to this place where they've rejected God, the one who brought them out of, Israel, or out of Egypt, the one who brought the Israelites out and set them free. And they begin to worship a calf. They begin to see, they looked at that calf and saw God. I look at a calf or a cow and I see steak. And the reality was they, they rejected God. They rejected who he was and what he had done. And so when we look at this, we need to see our own tendency in this. Our own tendency is that even though God has worked miracles in our lives, even though God has shown us the benefits of knowing who he is and walking in his ways, the reality is for us, many times we begin to turn and worship other things. We begin to turn and go our own direction. We begin to turn and follow a different path. And yet the Bible tells us, and in fact, in this little book called Nehemiah, he tells us, and Nehemiah was a great leader. Um, he and a man by the name of Ezra, it tells about them in the book of Nehemiah. But this short section of scripture tells us about what God did after the people had rebelled against him. It says, because of your great compassion, this is Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 19, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. 
So even when they turned against him, it says he did not abandon them. He says, by day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor did the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. In other words, your presence was still there. They may have turned from you. They may have walked away from you, but you didn't walk away from them. The Bible tells us that God is still faithful even when we are unfaithful. So he was still there with them. He says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. In other words, to lead them, to teach them. Even though they had rebelled, you did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. In other words, even though they had rebelled and rejected you, God, you still provided for them. You still gave them good things. You still took care of them, God. And he says, for 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. In other words, he strengthened them in their time of need and in their weakness. And this is after they had rebelled against him. How good is God that even when we turn our face from him, he doesn't turn his face from us. How good is God that even when we rebelled against him, he continued to pursue us. How good is God that even today in my own imperfections, in my own fears, in my own doubts, in my own struggles, in my own shortcomings, God continues to pursue me. He continues to use me and he continues to promise a good future for me with him. How good is God that we don't forget him. The first thing I want you, if you're writing down notes, the first thing I want you to write down for sure is this, that we can't forget God's benefits. The second thing is we can't forget God's past faithfulness and his future intent. It's exactly what I'm telling you now. God was faithful to Moses so that we could see God's going to be faithful to us in the future. God's been faithful in our lives and those things, remember, become those memorial stones in our lives that tell us that God is in control and that God is going to take care of things for us. And so we can have confidence in him. And here's why he does these things. Verse 11 in Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love, his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So one, God's love is so great that he continues to pursue us even when we turn our face away from him. He doesn't move away from us. We're the ones who move away from him. But when we decide to repent and turn back to him, he's there. I can tell you for so many years of my life, I ran as hard and fast away from God as I possibly could. And when I I thought I had finally gotten away. The Lord began to finally speak to my heart. And I remember thinking, I've got a long way to go to get back to God. But I can tell you this in my life, when I turned around, God was there waiting on me. He never forsook me. He never forsook me. He consistently pursued me and consistently drew me to himself. And so we see this, that his love, it says, if you can imagine the farthest rims of the universe, the farthest place of the universe, and then you come and draw yourself all the way back to earth, that you might begin to get a grasp of how big God's love is. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty amazing to think about how big and how vast his love is for us and what he's done for us. If we remember that, if we don't forget that, will that not cause us to praise him? Will that not cause us to worship him? Will that not cause us to live our lives for him? It says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far our sins have been separated from us. I've always heard people say this every time I've heard this talked about. But if you go north on the earth, eventually you're going to get to a point where you start coming south. 
But if you go east or you go west on the earth, you'll never get to a point where you begin, if you went east to go west or if you went west to go east. So what he's saying is, listen, if you take and think about your sin as being separated as far as the east is from the west, then what it means is they're never going to touch you again. That they have been removed as far as they could possibly ever be removed. They have been taken care of. That Jesus took them on himself so that he could take them off of us and do away with them once and for all for good, getting rid of them. And so we see two things that God loves us so much that he continues to pursue us. But also that God took away our sins so that now we can come boldly before his throne of grace and be in his presence. The next thing, so we we don't forget his benefits. We don't forget his past faithfulness and future intent. And then we don't forget verse 13. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The third thing I would tell you that we can't forget is God's nature. We don't forget God's nature. We don't forget who he is, that he is a perfect father. It says that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, those who love him, those who are in awe of him, those who recognize his power and trust in his power to save them, that that's, he, he, he has compassion on us like a father. And so he remembers who we are. The one who created us knows us. And as a father, as a compassionate father, he recognizes our weaknesses. He recognizes our struggle. And so he's a father who understands where we are. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's in every way been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. And so we have a God who understands the place that we're in. He understands our struggle. He, He understands what we're going through. He's been there. He's felt it. He knows what it's like. And so we see that he understands we're just dust. He's the one who created us. He understands it. And yet he comes to us and treats us still as a loving father. And here's the thing that I can tell you. Many of us, many of you, maybe you didn't have a father figure that gave you a good understanding of what this is like, what this means. For some of you, maybe your father wasn't in your life at all. For some of you, it may have been abusive. For some of you, he may just never had time for you. Whatever it might have been, you may not have a good frame of reference. None of us understand exactly what a perfect father is because no father is perfect, including me. But the reality of it is that we can begin to see God and understand from his word and from what he's revealed to us in Jesus what a perfect father is and what he is like. Because we may not have had one on earth, but we have one in heaven who loves us and cares for us and puts his compassion on us. I want you to see a little bit of what this is like. If you turn to the eighth chapter of Romans, book of Romans, Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church. I want you to see a little bit of what this is like because we may not have had a perfect earthly father, but we can take comfort in knowing we have a perfect heavenly father. Chapter eight, verse 31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He says, what shall we say in response to these things? What are these things? These things are all the stuff that's been talked about in Romans up to this point. Those things are the gospel, the good news that Jesus came for sinners, that he died for sinners, that he gave his life for sinners, and that we are being made right and being made whole in Christ. And he says this at the end of that verse. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, here's the reality. We may not have had an experience of life where there were a lot of people for us. We might not have had an experience in life where we had an earthly father that was for us. But the reality of it is the thing that we can know is that our heavenly father is for us. And if, if he is for us, who can be against us? If we just ask the question, who can be against us? Well, there's a lot of people that could be against us. But the point is that if God is for us, it doesn't really matter who's against us. We just live for him. We trust in him. And if God is for us, then it doesn't matter who is against us. God is the one who is for us. We have a heavenly father who is for us, who is on our side, who is in our corner, who is leading us and guiding us and pulling for us in this life. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So he's not only a God who is for us, but he's also a God who provides for us. We may not have had that, that feeling of safety and security in our life as we grew up. Maybe not even now we don't feel that safe and secure with the things around us and the people around us. But the reality of it is God says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm a perfectly heavenly father who's going to be with you. Verse 33, he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justified. We may have had people in our life who've manipulated us with guilt, who said, listen, you know, you're guilty and use that guilt to get us to have to do things for them or to make us feel guilty so that we then do what they want us to do. The reality of it is, people, listen, that God doesn't operate that way. In fact, it says rather than God reminding us of our guilt, rather than God reinforcing our guilt, rather than God using our guilt as a pawn in our life to get us to do what he wants us to do. The good news is that God takes away that guilt and it says that he justifies us. It means it's just as if we never sinned. He takes away that sin from us. He takes away the guilt from us. He takes away the shame from us so that we can pursue him, so that we can follow him, be in a relationship with him. And we don't any longer get manipulated by feelings of guilt. Our lives are not driven by emotions. They're not driven by guilt. They're driven by the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that was, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Many of us have had struggles with feeling good enough. And many of, much of that has come from people in our past who have told us we aren't good enough. The good news is we have a God who says that we are good enough, that he's made us good enough, not because of things that we've done, but because of what he's done for us in Christ, that he's given us his spirit, that he's equipped us to do his work and that there's no longer any condemnation for us. So we have a God who doesn't condemn us, but a God who raises us up and because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so there's no longer condemnation for us. There's only a relationship with God to be had. Listen, you cannot walk in condemnation and walk hand in hand with God at the same time. Amen. Not listening to his voice because God's voice is never condemning. It may be convicting, but the reality of it is, people, that it's not condemning. When we begin to feel attacked, rather than the sin in our life being attacked, then we're not listening to the voice of God. The voice of God may attack the sin in our life, but it doesn't attack us personally. When we begin to feel the shame and guilt of things that begin to attack us personally, that's coming from someplace other than God. 
What we need to realize is God, yes, he will convict us of sin, but he does not condemn us. God doesn't do that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. And listen, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In, in our lives, we may have had experience where people we loved, where people we thought would always be for us, have deserted us, have walked away from us. God's promise is eternal that I will never leave you. He says, nothing can separate my love from you. Nothing can separate you from me. The Bible tells us that, that once we're in God's hand, that no one can take us out of his hand, that nothing can remove us from him, that he's got us, that he holds us, that he is the one who takes control of us. And so we see in this that he never separates himself from us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The other day when we were at the beach on vacation, uh, my, my brother-in-law Chad and my oldest son Dake and I were fishing at this inlet that's down in St. Augustine. And we were, we're down there and it's a really cool place because if you go at low tide, basically there's just hundreds of yards of beach. I mean, it just goes way out. Um, with this, this, this uh, beach that goes out there. And there's all these sandbars that you can walk on. And so we go out there and we're starting to fish and we're starting to catch fish. But the thing about this place is that when the tide starts coming in, it comes in really fast. I mean, it just starts coming in a hurry, um, especially depending on how the wind's blowing that day. I mean, it can just start flooding in. And the thing about it is you can be on a sandbar fishing and you might be in knee deep water, but behind you, it can be up to your head deep. And so we're out there fishing and we're catching fish and we're throwing them in the cooler, man. We, we, we were having the best day we've probably ever had fishing at this inlet. And we're just catching fish after fish. And, uh, and about that time I look around, I'm like, hey guys, we probably need to go, it's getting deep. And they're like, yeah, we probably need to start that way. And so I had the cooler, I had my fishing pole and I've got the cooler on my shoulder and I start wading across this channel and I'm starting to get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and pretty soon it's about chest high on me as I'm walking through there. And I thought, you know, it sounds mighty quiet out here. Then I turn around and look and Chad and Dake are standing up there on the sandbar watching me like this. They're watching to see if I go under, right? Or see if something gets me. And they're laughing and they're watching me try to take the cooler across and keep my fishing pole out of the water and all this stuff. And they're just laughing, watching to see if I'm gonna go under, if I'm gonna make it. And, and the reality of it is, and that's a joke and that's an illustration, but the reality is sometimes that's how we felt in life. That we feel like people have deserted us, that people we thought were gonna be with us and behind us and following with us and going with us and leading us, that they disappear. The good news is that God isn't that way. That God doesn't do that. That God is there for us, that he is on our side, that he has proved that through Jesus. And we can take comfort in that and know that. The last thing I wanna tell you today 
out of verse 19 in Psalm 103. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The things that we're gonna remember, the things that we're gonna remember is we're not gonna forget his benefits. We're not gonna forget his past faithfulness and his future intent. We're not gonna forget his nature, his perfect nature as a perfect heavenly father. And the last one from this verse is we're not gonna forget that he's in control. And I want you to think about this. And I want you to remember this because here's what I know. If I think about the benefits of God, the forgiveness of my sin, the fact that he's healing me, making me whole. If I think about him redeeming me from the pit, if I think about him putting his love and compassion on me, if I think about all the good things he's done as he's fulfilled my desires in my life and be in a relationship with him. And then I think about all of his past faithfulness and his future intent for what he's going to do in my life and what he's promised me for eternity. And then I look at him and his nature as a perfect heavenly father. Then it's easy for me to come to a point where I see that he is in control and that I begin to trust in him. And I begin to surrender my life to him. And I begin to say, yes, he is the Lord and savior of my life. And I'm going to trust in him. The problem, as we talked about earlier is that we want to keep picking up the shovel. We want to keep digging. We want to stay in control. We want to be the one that calls the shots, but it doesn't work so well when we're that way. I told this story a while back, but it brought, came back to me this week as I was preparing this message. But one time my parents went and they bought me a bicycle at a garage sale. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. They brought it home. I was riding it up and down the driveway. Um, I decided I'd start popping wheelies on it, you know, pulling up on the handlebars. My mom told me I probably should stop doing that, and, and I didn't listen. I thought, hey, I know better. I'm seven years old. I want to hear you to tell me anything, right? And so I keep doing, I keep popping wheelies. Pretty soon I'm riding down the driveway. I pull back on the handlebars to pop a wheelie, and the handlebars came off in my hands. I'm going down the driveway. I got no control of anything. Finally, I hit the grass, fall over. I'm crying, skin up, bleeding, everything. And I thought about that, you know, here's the reality for me. In that situation, I had my hands on the handlebars, but I had no control of where I was going. I had no control of what was going to happen or what I was gonna do. The reality for us is in life, when we put our hands on our own life, we might have our hands on the handlebars, we might have our hands on the steering wheel, but the reality of it is for us that we're still not in control. Control is an illusion. The best thing that we can do is surrender our lives to God and trust Him. Be led by Him and follow Him. Remember that He is in control, that He will take care, that He will be with us, that He is a perfect heavenly Father, that He has shown that in the past, He's gonna show that in the future, and He shows that to us now through the, the benefits of following Him and being in a relationship with Jesus. And so today, as we started this thing off, I wanna encourage you that you put down the obstacles, that you let God move the mountains, that you put down the steering wheel, the handlebars, that you let go and you give God control, that you quit fighting against God and you surrender yourself to Him, you surrender your life to Him. And I wanna ask you today, maybe you are in a place that you've never surrendered to Him. You've never let Him have your life. Your life has always been about you. It's never been about God. And now today you say, I realize that there's something bigger. God's speaking to my heart. And I want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want him to take my sin away. I want him to make me whole. I want him to redeem me from the pit of my life. I want his compassion and his love to be on me and in me. 
want my heart to be satisfied in him. Maybe today's the day that you need to say yes to him and begin to walk in his life that he gives, to be set free, to be redeemed, to be in the process of being made whole in Christ. And maybe today you don't know him, but he's speaking to your heart. Maybe your heart's beating 100 miles an hour because you know that this morning the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you. Yes, God still speaks today. And maybe you know that in your heart. And maybe today for you is the day of salvation. And if it is, then we want to celebrate that with you. And we want to help you take your next steps because coming to Christ and coming to salvation and giving your life to him is not the end of your life. It's not the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a new life in Christ. So if you're here today and you would say, today's the day of salvation for me. I want to receive Christ for the first time in my life. I want to give my life to him. I want him to be the savior of my life, taking my sin. I want him to be the Lord of my life, leading and guiding me as I surrender to him and follow him. And today I want you to do this. I want you to be bold enough to raise your hand and say, yeah, I need Christ in my life. I need Jesus in my life. And I've never had that before, but today is the day that the Lord has spoken to my heart and I want that in my life. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. You got here in the back. Thank you. else you know the Lord's speaking to your heart right now don't fight against God church let's celebrate that one more time that's why we do what we do right Here's how we're going to end it is we're going to sing one more song. But while we sing, I want to invite you to come to the front and I want you to come to the altar and I want you to take those rocks, those obstacles, those mountains that are in your life and I want you to leave them here. And whatever you walked in here with, I want that burden to be released off of you and I want you to give it to God, trusting that God is going to take those obstacles and those mountains that seemed like they were going to take you under and that he's going to use those mountains and those obstacles to become memorial stones in your life. But our step and our responsibility is to surrender them to him. And when Satan tries to put them back in our lap, when they try to come back on us, we're going to put them down again because living this life with Christ is one step at a time. It's taking one step at a time. But today for you, maybe your next step is to to surrender something here. So I'm going to pray. They're going to play and I'm going to ask you to move. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your heart for us, your life for us, the grace you give us, Lord. We pray that you would move in our hearts. Don't let us leave here the same. God, I pray that we would leave our burdens here at this altar. I pray that you would take those obstacles, those mountains and make them memorial stones. God, in our life that show us your faithfulness, that get us through the difficult days, that get us through the times when we don't think we'll make it. God, we can look at those memorial stones and we can worship you for what you've done in the past and what you're going to do in the future. We love you, God. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.